Welcome to NFT Rebels, the podcast where technology, creativity, education, and non-fungible experiences meet each other. It's me, Annie Alexander, and in each episode, me and the Rebels will have a real unscripted talk, share genuine opinions, and show raw emotions. Should we start? everyone and welcome to the nft rebels podcast um i want to welcome probably the most metaverse native and nft native person that i know um elad is in the studio welcome elad how have you been thank you thank you it's very nice to be here i've been terrific yeah so to To give you a backstory, we met due to work and then we had also met to in real life so to speak at uh we actually had a beer together in a cathedral uh which was <laughs> an interesting experience um but we're not going to talk about that uh we i think like you know um probably worth mentioning that alad was the first person who actually made a tour for me and introduced me to the metaverse so together we went to the central land and uh, he sort of showed me the reps and kind of uh, my first metaverse experience was um with with a lot um so thanks for that and um and i guess we will be covering loads of things and talking about the metaverse related stuff um but before that just uh you know apart from the fact that you are in the space professionally and apart from the fact that you know you you are using um the nft related uh, lifestyle in your everyday um tell us how it all started how did you get here um sure after i do that though at some point today remind me to circle back to that uh first tour that we did in decentraland because it inspired an interesting story but we'll get back to that oh, okay <laughs> so, sure speaking of my first story um God, I've said this on like podcasts so many times already, but uh, I hope I don't sound like a robot. Anyway, here it goes. Uh, yeah, I was introduced to this by a very good uh, childhood friend of mine who is actually Vlad Ginsberg, the current CEO of Block Party. Um, we grew up together and he knew how much of a geek I was when we were growing up. So for years, he tried to convince me, you know, he said, uh, Elad, get into blockchain and this is so for you. You're going to love this. Just give it a shot. And I was dealing with like all sorts of other professional stuff in my life. I was like, oh, I don't want to. Um, I gave it a peek at some point in like 2008 and I started playing around with it a bit. Um, and then I did absolutely nothing with it. So in 2019, Right. I found myself with, uh, for very re various reasons, a lot of free time on my hand. And again, it was like, you know, try this out of the stuff. At the time, Block Party was actually an event ticketing platform that was using cryptocurrency and NFTs um, for event ticketing. It was just way, way, way ahead of its time. And uh, that was before they pivoted to be um, an NFT uh, launchpad for, you know, artists and music and so on. Anyway, tried out the app. I was like, hmm. This is pretty cool. And then I just started, you know, like digging into stuff. And uh, eventually I found CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties was really my gateway drug. And this is very well known about me. Um, specifically, the tokenization aspect of CryptoKitties, right? So as a game, CryptoKitties was very interesting. And 
um, at its peak when people were making money. That was very exciting, but it wasn't just the money. Like there was a very, very active community. They used to do these things called, um, I think it was called uh, kitty chases, where like every time they launched a new type of crypto kitty, like a special edition one, uh, it was called mm-hmm. a fancy, fancy chases. That was it. Then, um, you know, in order to breed it, you have to get like this exact sequence of genes and you have to like breed cats until you get the genes. Now, in order to discover which genes you needed for a new cat, it was like this investigative game that everybody did together live on stream with uh, Rude Moose, who was, I think was the head of community at the time. And, uh, you know, she was very good at it. It was very entertaining. Um, and that's great. But I looked at the technical aspect of it. Now, before somebody, you know, like puts me on some sort of, I don't know what here, and they're like, oh, but the technical aspect of CryptoKitties. What I mean by the technical aspect was just very narrowly, you know, uh, tokenization in general, because that was new to me. I am not like many people who are currently into NFTs and metaverse who came from the traditional crypto industry and they were already used to blockchain and uh, all of that. Um, I had no connection to crypto. In fact, I found it a huge pain in the ass that I needed to uh, <laughs> to use cryptocurrency in the first place in order to buy the crypto kitties. I remember it upset me very much. Uh, that's actually how I found out about Nifty Gateway originally. So in Nifty Gateway's original iteration, before they were Launchpad, they were a platform that allowed you to buy specific NFTs using a credit card. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. one of like the only three projects that they supported was CryptoKitties. So you could go on niftygateway.com and uh, you would put in the uh, the URL for the CryptoKitty and your wallet address. And then it would load like this interface where you would pay with a credit card and then it would go into your wallet. And that was fantastic. You didn't have to. That, that's why it was called Nifty Gateway. Interesting, yeah. Right? It's yeah, it's it's uh, so basically from from such a simple solution we went backwards to more complicated ones afterwards. It feels that can be debated, but um, my point is that I when I looked at all this stuff, it wasn't as an investor; it was actually as a gamer. I'm a long time mm-hmm. gamer. Been playing video games for a very very long time. Um, I tried to participate in tournaments and esports. Was very very bad at it. Uh, no different from regular sports, so that didn't go well. <laughs> but I played for leisure, and I enjoy it, and it's a big part of my life, and always has been. So I looked at it as kind of like the product of uh, a product of the virtual economy of the early two thousands, where we used to you know uh, buy and trade virtual goods in like the grayest way possible on eBay and whatnot, and in IRC and all sorts of like <laughs> nefarious technologies, and. Um, it just made sense that you can tokenize something and then automate many things through smart contracts, uh, A. But it was also the idea of tokenization in general. And this has become a rather um, important thesis that I'm very vocal about in all of the panels and stuff that I participated in. And that has to do with the sensation of what it's like to own virtual goods Mm -hmm. when it's tokenized as opposed to when it's not tokenized. And that's putting aside the discussion for a second of where is the actual metadata stored is it on-chain? Is it off-chain? I'm talking about the idea of a community consensus, literally and figuratively, that mm-hmm. decides on the technical level who owns something and who doesn't. And yeah. that to me was, psh, that blew me away. And I've been in NFTs ever since. So I just became completely obsessed with it. I used to just read up day and night and try to make up for like, you know, 10 years of lost knowledge that I didn't have. Um, and eventually what happened was I found myself working at Upland. Upland Mm -hmm. is a property trading game and they were just like sort of starting out at the time. Um, Maybe not just, but like they were really, really in their infancy. 
And uh, today, I think they have several hundred thousand uh, monthly active users, which uh, I think is significant for a game, especially one that's developed on EOS, but a game in general that isn't Axie Infinity, right? And um, and yeah, and, and, and the rest is history, as they say, right? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be playing around with blockchain and NFTs, but I also wanted to make you know, dealing with video games in some way, uh, a big part of my life and basically my profession. And at Upland, I was able to put the two together. Uh, about, you know, a while after that, uh, I left and I started my own consultancy. And that's what I've been doing ever since. That lets me, you know, have my hand in many different projects at the same time, try out all sorts of stuff at the same time. And that's, of course, where you and I met, right? So I get to meet a lot of yeah. cool people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's it's interesting. Like everyone's stories kind of, you know, start with everyone comes from different angles, pretty different kind of, you know, situations. But then once you get into it, it's just like a fall down the rabbit hole. And it just, you know, you you come in, you get fascinated, it just you go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you stay. And you know, all of us have like a certain sort of sub-interests and uh, different ways we approach that, whether it's work, whether it's like yeah, our personal passions that we sort of, you know, um use in the sphere. But uh it's always the same story. Like they get in and then it kind of, you know, becomes you you start digging deeper and learning more and, and it just you know keeps fascinating you every single day and i love the fact that you know unlike many many other people uh like the money wasn't the thing you came here for because we know that based on the media stories that uh, that is the the big sort of you know hook that brings in many people uh, at least during the hype periods so um that's a different story so uh yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned about you being a gamer because I have a feeling that for gamers, it's so much easier to understand and grasp the concept because they already at some level have been dealing with digital sort of, you know, digital, um, yeah, you could call virtual assets. goods. Uh, yeah, virtual right goods now. and, you know, paying for them, trading them and sort of, you know, that that's part of the culture and it's, it's sort of, uh, it's already one step that that has been uh you know further compared to me for example who who wasn't used to this stuff right so it's you you get it you understand it you feel it for you virtual goods is not like something very uh abstract as as for some who are just getting into this space um so yeah the metaverse is basically what we're going to talk about uh today and um the interesting thing with the metaverse is that when I talk to people for many, it's just they imagine it as being one place, like it's being this one place that people come in and get in and there is one metaverse in, in, in the way people imagine it. So so explain us about this. Like, is, is it one metaverse? Is it like many different metaverses? Like how does that, that from a very top level, if people look into it, like what is it and 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 how does it look like? Is it? What is it? Where do you get if you want to enter the metaverse? <laughs> so I'll give you what my view on it is, because I think that if you take uh, five different people who have, you know, five, five different people and ask them what the metaverse is, you'll have 12 different opinions. That's what it feels like. Um, but, but I'll give you my opinion. So I think that the metaverse in my, like I posit, I, 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 this is a part of my, let's call it manifesto. I do think that it is a place, but when you think about it as a place, you need to think of it like, 
you know, like the astral plane in uh, Doctor Strange, or if you want something a little bit more here and now, here and now, 20 years ago. Um, do you remember when they used to describe the internet? How would they mm -hmm. describe it as the information superhighway, right? Yeah, 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 true. So the metaverse is kind of like the next iteration, the evolved version of that, of the information superhighway, except it's not a highway anymore. We've reached an actual destination, right? So it is a place, but it's not a place that's confined by any one specific platform or any, let's call it, digi-physical boundaries. It's a place that's confined. Its borders are confined by ideas, right? And concepts. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what it is. Um, it, it, it requires itching a part of the brain that isn't usually itched in order to think about something, you know, uh, in those terms, but... That's the reason I think many people kind of go to this easy place of, you know, uh, can I touch it or not? Can I access it from one place or not? Is it just mm -hmm. one platform that I can log into or not? Maybe mm -hmm. one day the actual representation of it will be that. It will be one platform that you can connect to from everywhere, from any other platform. Like you could use Facebook to access it or Google or um, MetaMask or whatever. But for the time being, it's... It's, it's, it's a dimension, okay? It's a dimension that um, when we're talking about metaverse with a capital M, it's very, very conceptual. And you have, of course, many metaverses, nouns, right? Uh, not proper nouns with uh, uh, lowercase m's that are just various worlds. And of course, every game and every platform is calling itself a metaverse now. But I think that if you can uh, access it and explore it, I guess in some respects by, you know, today's standards, you can call it um, a metaverse lowercase m. I think that the proper noun version, the capital uh, M version of the metaverse does have certain uh, features that we think about, right, conceptually that do, that we can agree on, right? When we think about mm -hmm. the metaverse, we do think about, you know, about interoperability. We do think mm -hmm. about, um, an avatar of ourselves in some way, shape, or form, even if it's not like one specific avatar, right? But it is like some projection of our actual selves, right? Our mm -hmm. self with a capital S, if you want to call it that, into a digital plane of some sort. That's like the metaversal concept, if you ask me. And um, yeah, that's like, that's the, that's the general gist of it for now, if we want to put it in uh, as lay terms as possible, right? To keep it very, very abstract. There is no one specific platform yet that is the metaverse. Yeah, makes sense. So so basically there are many, many, like as you mentioned, games and, you know, many other sorts of projects that are building different metaverses in, on different platforms uh, for different reasons. Uh, and it, it feels like, uh, that that's the next thing and it's very fashionable and many people get tempted to sort of get into this space, right? Um, it feels like, to me, it feels like the things that you can build in the metaverse is just limited by your imagination and creativity. It feels like the opportunities and possibilities are endless. But if at the moment, the things that are already present that projects can do uh, and, and build uh, in that space. Uh, if you had to sort of, you know, put it in different buckets, like categories, the main stuff that is being built in the metaverse at the moment, which are those? 
That's a really hard question because there's a lot of stuff being built, right? So you've got, first of all, companies, I think a lot of the marketing right now for very obvious reasons is about stuff that's very shallow. It's all the way at the top. It's at the surface. It's at face value. But don't forget that you have many, many companies at this point who are building things that are considered infrastructure for the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the the, the protocols and the foundations and the platforms that will let us do all of the things that we will, let's say, want to do in order for us to consider a metaverse a metaverse. And by the way, I should develop some sort of name for this theory, but I have kind of like my equivalent of a litmus test for if something is or is not a metaverse and mm -hmm. at what level of metaverse is it? And here it is. I'm presenting this here for the first time. This is an exclusive. It's alpha. Nice. Just for alpha. Alpha for yes. me. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> um, so basically the question that I ask myself is mentally, can you live in this place? And when I say live, let's talk about what that means for a second, because this can take, be taken out of context very easily. I don't mean, can you breathe and reproduce there? I don't, you know, mean... Uh, can you necessarily uh, play sports there or something, even though I guess that'll be possible eventually. But my point is, like, can you go there mentally with your mind and just be without any mm -hmm. specific requirements, without needing to do something? One of the main differences between a game and between the metaverse is that construct, right? That framework of rules and requirements that it, it needs you to do something. So in a mm -hmm. game, Usually, if it has a storyline and uh, an entire structure and a framework, you can't just usually go there and hang out. Games have reached a point that they've become very open world. But in the end, there is an objective, which is to complete yeah. the game, regardless of whether that game is linear, meaning it has a start, middle and an end. Or if you can do, you know, like various missions and various stuff. I mean, like a game that comes to mind is... Uh, you know, uh, anything from the Elder Scrolls series like Skyrim, okay, or any anything that's very, very open world. But in the end, it's still like a game with a background and and you go there and, you know, you, you, you're supposed to do something, right? You don't just go there to, to hang out, right? Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's one of the main differences. If you can go somewhere and just be, okay, then I mm -hmm. think that's reaching a metaverse level. And if you ask me, that was one of the pivotal points of um, Epic and what they've been doing with Fortnite in trying to convert it from just a regular game to a metaverse when they started calling it that. So one of the things that they started doing is they gave you options. Usually, I mean, originally when you were playing Fortnite in the first seasons, not even just in the first season, for many seasons of the game, you would go in and you would choose, you have like a screen that does nothing. It's basically like the, the login screen, right? The dashboard that gives you options and stuff to choose from. You choose the type of game that you want to play. And then the game starts. When the game starts, you have like a minute where everybody's in this like free-for-all area, just waiting for the game to load and waiting for enough people to join the server. And then once that starts, the actual game construct begins. A game construct can be like, uh, a PVE player versed environment where you have to like kill all of the computer generated bad guys. It can be a uh, team versus team. It could be free for all where, you know, the, the objective of the game, each of these constructs has an objective is to, to be the last person, the last avatar to survive, right? The last mm -hmm. player. At some point they started doing very uh, conceptually different things. So for instance, they started showing movies 
in Fortnite. They just constructed uh-huh. a movie screen that was kind of like a drive-through movie. And uh, they would just show movies there. I think one of the first movies they showed there was Inception, maybe, or something like that. And you can just uh-huh. go and hang out with people there and chat with them and watch a movie. That's already going to a more metaverse-like place. Now, if you take that and you like, you know, uh, uh, expand it exponentially to all the variables that you can have in an actual universe, then you get some sort of idea of um, what the metaverse is. And if you can try to imagine that for a second and you look at a platform that you're using and you're saying, can I just be in this place, right? Without any specific ask, just like I can be in the real universe. I think that Mm -hmm. that's perhaps how we can begin to measure. Obviously this theory requires a lot of refinement. It's very early (laughs) stage, but It'll give you some general idea of where something is and where you are in it. Does that make sense? What do you think? No, it does. Actually, what I was thinking about is like, you know, I just put parallels into this, you know, um, what you're saying. And and usually in the games, just like in life, there are certain rules and, you know, certain sort of direction and a route that you take. And, you know, um, it's uh, it's it's goal-driven, uh, et cetera, right? It, it has certain challenges, certain, you know, things that you have to pass through, et cetera. And uh, and here, like I, I felt like there is a parallel between this whole kind of blockchain ethos and and sort of you know the idea that you know you don't follow rules, you you're not told what to do. It's you you get back the control over your life, etc. And if you decide just to be, then you know you have that opportunity and time and space uh, uh, where you can just decide to do whatever you want to do, whether it's uh, just to be or whether to get you know a certain and pick a certain experiences. It can be just you know about uh, going to a space where you you want to feel a certain thing or you want to escape the reality or you want to leave things that. Otherwise, like, you know, you get experiences that you wouldn't really risk or want to do in real life, but you're still, you know, attracted to those, right? So to me, like, that metaverse sort of the... The, the thing that attracts me there is basically you can be whoever you want to be and you can do whatever you want uh, while in, at life you have certain limitations and, you know, for, for objective reasons, you have certain things that you just, you know, wouldn't choose to do um, because it's different, right? And here you get that freedom and that control and, you know, the choices and opportunities are, are way uh, more different. So there is no game or, you know, there is no game producer or no gatekeeper to tell you what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do things, what you're supposed to to feel or experience. And then, you know, based on that, uh, the, the people who resonate with each other and who seek similar experiences uh, basically, yeah, create that whatever it is, like that that space and time and the opportunities where they can get together and experience the same thing and and, and share those experiences together. I don't know. Like I'm not very experienced with this, you know, metaverse. I think, stuff I think you did very well. well. <laughs> <laughs> so per, 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 perhaps we can simplify, right, the description as something more like what you're saying, where it's a digital plane where you can have a collective human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, to me, like the NFTs themselves, I keep saying this because it's 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 another thing that I came up 
recently, just like you with your theory, to me, NFTs are like, you know, tokenized emotions and experiences at, at its core. Like if you just strip it off the tech and going deep into what it represents and talk about the ownership and et cetera, et cetera. And you go back and you just look at, at a very top human level uh, at things. Uh, to me, that's what they represent. Because like, unlike coins, just, you know, crypto coins, they do evoke emotions. They, they do provoke experiences. They create this human touch and human relationship with, with that digital um, uh, thing. So it's, to me, it's, that's what's the beauty of it. That's what's kind of, you know, just, you know, makes it different from everything else in the blockchain. And to me, that's why that part of the blockchain, sort of that aspect of the blockchain and that sphere is what has a soul, unlike the others. So to me, it's like a more kind of soulful and, uh, yeah, uh, emotional uh, side of the blockchain, which, yeah, yeah, I... I like that a lot. I mean, I, I think you know that I'm on the same page with you on this one, but um, I think you, you you touched upon something that, again, is a big part of my, uh, my, my thesis of metaverse in general, and that has to do not with what the metaverse does or what it looks like, but what it feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about what it's like to feel to own these things and stuff. And a lot of that, you know, is because, like you said, people look at it strictly as an asset, right? They just they don't care, uh, many of them, but, you know, it is a place, I mean, human experience and emotion, you can develop, I feel any, uh, in many places where you have other human beings, but indeed what you're saying that the way that it's built, the, in, in the, the inanimate infrastructure itself is a catalyst for feeling things. That's yeah. what differentiates the metaverse from anything else, right? So if you lose something in the metaverse and you really lost it, it's not just, you know, it, by technical consensus, you no longer have this thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that emotion, that's also the power that the NFTs bring to the metaverse, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's that and it's, feeling and it's a feeling of real things. loss, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you're losing something digital, but the, the feeling of the loss is real. That's yeah. kind of the, the interesting part of, yeah. of the whole space, right? The, it's just, the, the, yeah. the tokenization gives us that, right? That that feeling of actual loss. And again, I know that people are going to be listening to this and critiquing like, well, do you really own it or do you not own it? I mean, think 10 years ahead and just pretend like you do for a second. Yeah, it, the, <laughs> the here and now doesn't matter. All that matters is where is this going to end up going? Because if we do end up getting there, then all the rest of this, you know, yay or nay is uh, is insignificant. So for now, yes, you know, lots of stuff is on IPFS and whatever. And we don't have the technology yet to do better, but everything is in development. My point, though, is that the NFT alone, right, just that um, that that holder of content, which is ownable by technical consensus, is already conceptual and also mentally in terms of our perception of digital planes. And virtual economy is a huge, huge, huge step forward. And I think that that's extremely important. Now, you can have walled garden versions of the metaverse, like what Facebook slash Meta is building, um, Mm -hmm. and still have emotions there and have loss. But I do think that the support of blockchain and the infrastructure that it provides and and the way that tokenization uh, feels to actually have ownership of something through your keys, I think that that's, that, that speaks a great, you know, it speaks volumes to, uh, to, to what this type of universe that we're trying to create will become. Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about 
those experiences, right? They are already places where, you know, you can experience that metaverse, uh, you know, at, at the shape and form that it is out there already at the moment. Obviously, it's, as you said, we're still early and we're, you know, things are just being built and some of it may not be ideal yet, but it's, it's you know, it's still better than, than you know, what it was uh, probably a few years ago, for sure. So um, after that tour, for example, uh, of your um in the central land i've been in in various galleries um in the metaverse uh consuming art and you know looking at what what the creators have have done uh in in different formats and it's it's been a very nice experience i've been to a birthday party i've been into a launch party so you know it's it's kind of uh um uh, it's very uh, hard for people to understand it. You can't really explain it. Like the easiest way is to tell them to come with you and experience it themselves. It's very hard to, when people ask me, you're like, yeah, oh, but but what uh, what's the point of it? Or, you know, uh, it, it feels weird or it sounds weird. Well, what the hell are you doing there? It's it's very hard to explain. But, um, but those are the things I've done in the metaverse so far. Uh, I know that you're way more experienced and it feels like, you know, the experiences in the metaverse are just part of your lifestyle uh, at this point already. So what are, which are the experiences that you prefer most um, in that space? So prefer in what sense, right? I think that until we do have a more collective version of these platforms that are more interoperable, it's like you have to choose your poison. What do you want to experience? Yeah. And based on that, that's where you go to get stuff, right? So uh, if you want to see all sorts of like interesting and neat stuff that's been built, I guess, and um, also on the technical level, right? Experiences that are more uh, gamified or have some sort of more uh, structure, then at the moment, I think Decentraland, in terms of blockchain right, related stuff, let's stick to that for now because um, non-blockchain metaverses, plural, um, I guess there are many of them from VR to AR to you mm. know, just plain stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, let, let's stick to this stuff for, for the time being. Um, I mean, Decentraland is where you go, you know, to, uh, to experience like uh, mechanical stuff that's very interesting, right? So the reason for that is because Decentraland is one of the few, if not the only platform that allows outward scripting to external third-party smart contracts. I don't think any mm-hmm. of the other virtual world platforms uh, allow that yet, even if it's in their roadmap or something in Decentraland, you have it now. So that's one thing. But um, but think about your avatar in Decentraland, right? It's extremely rudimentary. It's true that you can wear stuff and that's nice. But as a projection of yourself, do you feel that like it's it's representative enough to give you a lot of that human experience? I say nay. So if you want more human experience, right, and and to feel what it's like to be with actual people, in my opinion, I like Somnium Space. Somnium Mm -hmm. Space is built for VR. They have like a 2D version and also a bug version, but um, all of those don't do it justice. You have to use the VR. That's what it's intended for uh, in order to get the real full experience there. And when you're immersed in there, it's incredible. By the way, that's the same, I think, for many of the VR uh, platforms and VR worlds, whether they're based on blockchain or not. And part of the reason for that, in my opinion, is because what do you get when you're in VR with a rather uh, complex or intricate avatar that you don't get with more rudimentary ones? You get body movement, right? You get body Mm -hmm. language. Those are stimuli that as human beings, we're kind of like programmed to pick up on. 
when you have that flexing, that wiggling, that spinning uh, in another person, not only does it make it more uh, real and believable, but it, it also just feels different. Uh, it's really quite mm. undescribable. So if you want to have a party, right, with actual people, even though you can't do much else, right? So you can't have a game as far as I, well, no, that's not true either. In Somnium Space, you do have like a racing track at this point. It's like in development, it's going in, in the right direction, but mm. you can't like pick up an object and hand it to somebody. You know what I mean? Not that you okay. can do that on many of the other platforms yet, but I'm saying that's what many of these platforms are currently missing. It's that mm. avatar to avatar interaction. But yeah. if you want the feeling of people, I say Somnium Space, if you want the feeling of a real world, then I guess, you know, uh, Decentraland in the meantime. Uh, Sandbox looks like it's going to be far more game oriented, which also has yeah. its place, right? Mm -hmm. um, you've also got lots of other stuff like, uh, you know, like Moniverse and uh, Cybers getting up there. And you've got many also ones that are currently in development powered by other blockchains that look quite incredible. Uh, some are going to be music oriented, some, you know, each one with its own theme. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the current status of things. It's, it's interesting because like, uh, you know, uh, you, you mentioned like that interaction, human to human interaction. And now like, you know, after COVID, when, when the real life events finally came out, like, you know, you go and meet people. And like, I was at an event this, this morning and, and many people ask me like, yeah, but you know, you already talked to so many people online. Like, why do you have to commute in the big city to get to a place to meet them for two hours and like come back? You could have do a Zoom call. But I, it's still not the same, right? We still sort of, you know, are missing out unless we meet in person. So I guess probably, you know, that, um, you know, uh, the things on Somnium space with the whole equipment, et cetera, gets you the closest to that real thing. But for now, like, it feels like we haven't really found that, you know, the solution which can replace that real human re interaction, I guess. Uh, I think that yeah. maybe we should strive to reach a similar level of experience, but I don't think that the point is to replace it. I think that the metaverse, the virtual economy, this entire digital plane of existence is supposed to supplement our lives. Um, and that's also the reason why the whole, what's known as digital aspect of Web3, right? So that's the border between physical and digital in most instances, just because I think it's the easiest go-to conceptually, uh, that has to do with products, right? People are looking like, well, I'll also need to make money off of this, so I'll do something where I can also approach brands and things. But I think that's just like not even the tip of the iceberg. I think the whole digital aspect of Metaverse is extremely important because we can and should mix between the physical plane and the digital plane. Um, I'll give you an example. So I think that like something that will be like, metaverse-esque, if you ask me, um, over the coming years, is that once AR becomes far more developed, especially when the hardware catches uh -huh. up with our train of thought. So um, much like the VR sets, right, when they weighed 300 pounds and they cost $5,000 a piece, wasn't very accessible and you didn't have too many uh, too much software and too many things being produced for it. But the second, it was very, very lightweight easy to access, easy to get, easy to plug in, and uh, mm. it only costs $400, then that's a whole change of, um, of paradigm. So once AR glasses become 
legit in their intricacy. I think we're going to experience, for example, certain uh, metaverse situations where you can be at a party and it'll be like, oh, I have a lot of movie references. Um, have you ever seen the movie Kingsman? No. And we need to work on your pop culture. What's going on here? We we do, yeah. So, so, so in we Kingsman, should get to the Masterminds to to watch these movies. In uh, in we can right. We we just need to find somebody that's playing it legally. Uh, um, in Kingsman, they have these glasses, look like completely regular glasses, but the glasses are able to give you like an AR overlay, so that you can mm-hmm. even uh, you're sitting at a conference table, and there are lots of VR simulations of this. But this is AR; mm-hmm. it's far more impressive, if you ask me. And you have other people around the world who are wearing these same types of uh, eyeglasses. And mm-hmm. you're sitting in a seat at a conference table and you see them as if they're sitting next to you, these projections of themselves, right? Got Through it. the glasses. Yeah. It's as if they're there, even mm-hmm. though they're not, right? It's a hologram. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that when we have glasses that can do that, and it's not as far-fetched as you might think, uh, definitely not that far in the future. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but like within two to three or maybe five years, well within that range. It's very possible. So um, I-, I think that you'll have a type of experience, for instance, where you could be at a party and you're wearing these glasses. So you're interacting with people physically at the party, but you're also able to fidgetally interact with people's avatars who are also at Mm. the party, even though they're logging in through a software platform and they can interact with you, let's say through some sort of like camera scanning system that's scanning everybody in the room and is putting it into the metaverse. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like this astral plane type situation where you've got digital and physical people who are able to interact with one another. And it's like. I think what like what, what you're saying, like sounds awesome. And it feels like, you know, the, the way it sounds, it's like, oh my God, like it, it needs so much time until we get there. But I just realized like, you know, back in the days when I was up to the times when I got into uni, uh, we didn't even have internet. Like internet wasn't really adopted even, right? So it's been, yeah, it's been a while, but still not not such a long period until the point where it, it just became part of our lifestyle. And and probably, you know, once we get there, um, this whole thing will become just like the internet part of our lifestyles and we won't even think about it so much while now it it sounds so wild and so weird and so kind of you know not everyone i mean there is so much controversy about it right there are many people who are like oh my god like once everything becomes um uh, like in the metaverse uh, people will stop interacting with each other in real life and we're going to miss out so much it's going to change the whole world this is very scary it, i mean the similar uh, conversations that we had about ai and uh, you know the algorithms and everything else right um so do you think like and mass adoption in the blockchain in general has been a big issue right like you know with when mm. the bitcoin came along and then the cryptocurrency is like we all expected the mass adoption to come much earlier and and i still think we it hasn't come yet and it feels like with nfts it's you know people from outside came in more and easier because it was probably around things that they cared about it was about mm. stuff that was human it was about art music things that kind of you know they grasp and understand uh but how do you feel like in general all this is it's it's the tech that needs to be developed, obviously. But I feel like apart from the tech, it also is a mindset thing. It is also about how people are going to embrace it when it comes. 
So what do you think, like, which one is going to be more ready, like ready faster uh, and ready first? The people with, with their mindset and readiness to embrace it or the tech that will be ready, but then we will have to figure out how to bring in people to actually use it? I think it's going to be the tech, but I don't think you're going to have to bring in people to figure out how to use it. And my favorite go-to example for this kind of thing is Bluetooth. So I remember when Bluetooth launched and nobody had any idea what this is supposed to do or how it's supposed to work. And they tried to describe it. They're like, it's a replacement for cables. And people said, so it's Wi-Fi. We have that already. They're like, no, it's not Wi-Fi. Mm. Wi-Fi is a network. This is just for the cables. It's like, oh, so it's infrared, but we have that. Yeah, but the infrared isn't efficient. And I had one of the very first cell phones that had Bluetooth in it. There was nothing to connect it to. Not only was there nothing to connect it to, but there, there was just no way for this thing to function and for a thing to use. Today, are you able to buy a new car that doesn't have Bluetooth in it? <laughs> you couldn't beg to have that feature removed. Nobody's going to comply with that because it's so permanent at this point that yeah. it's just a matter of fact of life. Um, you ride buses today. You've got uh, USB ports. That wasn't always a thing. Um, you're at a, a, a cafe or an airport, you have wireless charging for your cell phone. That wasn't mm. the thing. When did wireless charging uh, start happening, right? I remember, so I actually remember an instance when um, there was like a wireless charging port at the airport. They already installed it at the airport, but like only spe very specific Android phones can use it. And I remember that I didn't know how it, it worked. It was very embarrassing. And I went and I tried to like, charge my iPhone with it, but like my iPhone didn't support it. And I thought it was broken. And it's like the tech is tech will continue to be produced because regardless of the mentality in this industry. And I think it's, um, you know, some of web three has to do with hardware, but I feel like for some reason, the majority has to do with software. I think in all software industries, people look at it like, you know, like, like, like web 2.0 in many instances, where's the money, right? But I feel that actually in hardware, that's where you have a lot more of what's known as R&D research and development, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. like, we will give you a grant of one and a half million dollars, produce something amazing, right? You don't have that too much in software, definitely not in web three. Usually you have to come with a plan with a business plan and be like, this is how I'm going to use the money. This is how I'm going to pay you back in five years. This is how we're going to mm -hmm. make a million dollars. Um, I don't remember for a very long time. In fact, I don't remember when the last time I saw something like this at all was where there was just like a grant or a fund for like exceptional experimentation, like Westworld, you know, go mm -hmm. and just create, produce, experiment, tinker, yeah. invent, be a visionary, right? And see what comes out of it. If you do create something amazing, we've got 35% of it. And if not, then, hey, we tried, right? It's enough that like we get one incredible world changing idea out of the situation. So I feel like you get that at like the government level with stuff, right? Uh, from like DARPA, which is where the internet came from. Um, but you don't get that on the day to day. And that's a shame because you have lots of people with, who are very, very bright, very sharp, have incredible ideas, but nobody cares because people want to know ahead of time, how are you going to monetize this thing? So to answer your question again, more directly, I think that hardware for all of the reasons that we mentioned are is, is is going to catch up and i feel that just like when it's everywhere you just can't ignore it right when you have bluetooth everywhere eventually you're going to be like well maybe i should learn how to use bluetooth right now um a wallet 
is more software oriented, but you can mm-hmm. take the same approach there. So if you look at Brave Browser, for example, the statistics yeah. on the number of people that have been using Brave Browser and just the curve on the user acquisition is astronomical over the past couple of years. Um, Brave comes with a built-in wallet, as does Opera yeah. Browser, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So when you're using Brave, like whether you like it or not, I mean, you could turn the the wallet off, but you have one. You have a digital wallet. You're yeah, technically yeah. using blockchain. Um, you can choose to avoid it and to not act on that, but it's there. I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. And of course, the real um, disruptive equilibrium, I think, is going to be similar to what happened with Internet Explorer when it started shipping on computers, right? It's just like when you start having uh, in the next version of Google Chrome or, you know, whatever the popular browser is going to be in a couple of years, just a wallet built in. It's just, why not? You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I do. So if you look at, let's say the people who are already in the field, like there are so many creators in this space, right? In the NFT space, there are loads of creators who are like creators in different disciplines, right? Like, you know, there are, there are metaverse architects and designers and, you know, there are people who create art and, and everything else, like people who are already familiar uh, to the NFTs, to how things work. Um, and, but not specifically yet engaged in the metaverse itself, right? They, they may be just an NFT artist who are minting their, their art, uh, for example. And the maximum that they've done up to now is probably set up a gallery with their work, maybe, or maybe not even. So, so for this kind of, you know, creative talent, um, what is the best way, where to start, how to sort of, you know, uh, what's the easiest sort of starting step to, to get more involved in the metaverse and to maybe have some kind of contribution to it. Mm -hmm. So because we said before, I think we agreed that for the time being, not only is it very hard to define the metaverse um, as an overarching concept, but also it's hard to choose like uh, which of the platforms to use because no one platform is there a hundred percent yet, right? Mm -hmm. Hasn't taken us to the grand, the grand metaverse, let's call it. So I would say that like, Let's make it a little more, a little less concrete for people. Okay. I think that actually might help them. I would say to prepare yourself to start getting into this, use any platform, try out any platform that's going to transfer your consciousness temporarily, right? Um, into this digital plane, any digital plane. That's not necessarily a structured game where you have to participate in some sort of like uh, framework of rules. And that could be anything. Uh, if you like, you know, even if you have a specific game and it's multiplayer and you want to just go and hang out in that and, I don't know, play tag or something, break the rules or just, uh, you know, go there to, to chat and do kumbaya and meditate, that's also fine. But become comfortable with any of these, uh, like I said, uh, uh, consciousness transferring devices. Now, we're not actually transferring our consciousness, right? This isn't a sci-fi movie. But what I mean by transferring consciousness is in terms of your imagination going to a different place, the same mm. way that you do when you're watching a movie, okay? Yeah. You're sitting yeah. in a movie theater and you're very aware that you're looking at a screen, but at some point you're just like, you're in the world, right? Yeah. It's the suspension of disbelief for half a second. Mm. If you can experience that, I would say you're 
you're getting into the metaverse, right? So it doesn't matter where you start, really. Um, I like the blockchain stuff and playing around with it just because it's close to home for me, um, figuratively. But anything, I mean, use uh, VR chat, use, you know, uh, uh, open world games, um, do anything where it's like you're 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 lo- using, losing yourself in a digital place for a while. I would say that's a good um, that's a good first step. And for somebody who wants something more advanced, and I'm not saying this cynically, honestly, just Google like metaverse platforms or what is the metaverse? <laughs> start somewhere, anywhere. It's uh, it's better than yeah. nothing. I don't think yeah, there's even, one specific place to start. Even simple thing like that. I remember, like you know, um, back in the days when when I had more free time, I was spending lots of time oh. on um, on Twitter Spaces talking to people, and and there was. Um, a guy, a uh, block muse, uh, who's, I think he's still doing his show, uh, where, um, it was Twitter spaces, but then people were also going to a space in the Somnium space mm-hmm. where, you know, while they were talking on Twitter spaces, they were also kind of in- interacting in that place and kind of, you know, seeing each other and their avatars, etc. So it was kind of, you know, two dimensions where you could, you know, if you, you wanted to have an added ad- experience, you would just also parallel to listening to the Twitter spaces and talking to people, you would also emerge into this kind of, you know, space, uh, which is like a very basic and very simple uh, way to, to combine things. But it, it still worked and it still added uh, um, an, a new layer of experience to like, yeah. A simple, uh, regular Twitter spaces. So, so yeah. I, I, I think you're talking about crypto voxels, uh, actually. Crypto voxels, one of the OG NFT communities uh, known as Token Smart, uh, they've been doing a weekly meetup in the metaverse once a week for at least three years, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Since, yeah, since like 2019, if not before. And it's in crypto voxels, and, and that's where all of the original. You know, OGs. the OGs, yeah, used to go. We, we used to, you know, you, you, you tune in either uh, listening to Discord while you were in there or you mm-hmm. had a live stream into uh, Discord. And then every Thursday, and they still do this to this day, they're hosting like a bunch of other people, many huge names, big companies, big individuals who started off with like 300 followers and now have 300,000 started off at, um, at this event. It's called the WIP Meetup. Um, nice. every Thursday. Yeah. You could just look it up on, uh, on so Twitter. Next and... time. That's where we go. I love Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. um, but it was fun. You'd go there, you'd be like dancing around and just chatting with people. And there were, there wasn't anything, uh, too much to do. Like I said, did you physically, like you can't hand things yeah. off to people. You can't really yeah. play a game. There isn't, you could just like look at stuff and like float around and, uh, and chat, but it was nice to like do that in a different in a different yeah. mental place, right? So you do it like in this digital plane instead of doing it in real life. It's still something different. It's still something new and um, and interesting and, um, yeah. and therefore worthwhile. Yeah. So so I think to wrap this up is basically don't don't be afraid to experiment. Just you know do a bit of research. Pick the place where which kind of you know resonates with you based on your interests and based on what you want to experience. Um, you know, from what is out there already and, and just, yeah, tip your toes in and, and, and experiment and see how you feel about it and what you, what you enjoy more. And, and, and I think it's just like 
you know, making a circle, coming back to where you started. It's just like that experience. You all have, you have to do is try and then you will fall down a rabbit hole. It will take you to a certain thing and you will eventually pick what you prefer in uh, among all the choices that are out there. So I guess that's, uh, that's kind of the conclusion, right? Yeah, that reminds me. We said we wanted to talk about this uh, Decentraland story that I wanted to tell. Let, you, right? Let's so do that. Yeah, perfect let's anecdote finish, to finish with up, that one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I have a lot of people on LinkedIn over the past couple of months who have been asking the same questions. It's like, what is the metaverse? How does it work? Where do I get started? And this is right when all of the big events and the big brands started getting into Decentraland, right? So I remember. I put together a poll that something like 500, if not 600 people responded wow. to. And the poll was basically this. If I were to put together the first like digital march in the metaverse, would you join? Uh, and uh. five to 600 people said, yes, RSVP, yes. I will join you in Decentraland. Just give me a few pointers on how this works. And we'll go and we'll just have like this long, you know, march uh, in favor of the metaverse. Super nice. cool, right? So I actually contacted Guinness World Records about this. Wow. And I tried to convince okay. them yeah, to like send a person in the metaverse to try to like put together the rules for all this stuff. Anyway, I had to put this idea on the back burner, even though I'm still dying to do it, maybe later this year, for two reasons. Yeah. Right? It's a cool idea. Yeah. One, uh, the uh, thing with Guinness Records was a little bit uh, problematic and... Uh, eventually nobody got back to me about like certain specific questions that I had. But in addition to that, I was pretty much promised by several uh, third parties that Decentraland servers would not be able to support that and that it would just be a ah. massive crash. Um, but that's not going to stop us, right? We need to experiment and we need to I mean, try. So going back to CryptoKitties, CryptoKitties mm -hmm. clocked the whole Ethereum network at one point, right? Like, yes, you know, that's a little bit different because that's, that's network congestion. Here we're talking about like just the, the website and, and the app. No, it's still like, crash, you know, right? it would it's be a nice headline. Explode. Like, you know, Alad's March broke the metaverse uh, or something. You know, that, that's going to be the, the, the catchy the, phrase, the, right? The, the, the difference <laughs> is with CryptoKitties, you needed such massive volume in order to accomplish that, that it was something to write about. In Decentraland, even though they've made huge advancements, right, to the way that they process data so that things are more stable, I don't think it's going to be like, it's not going to take 100,000 people to, uh, <laughs> to no. crash it. But so. when the time comes and we get there and we do that, we, yeah, we need so, to live stream it to the NFT so, Rebels. So, so, so we'll crash the party, <laughs> literally? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, it was a pleasure uh, meeting you again, and I'm Thank really happy me. that we had that chat. Um, I saw several comments coming in, so we can go back to LinkedIn and sort of, you know, reply to those comments whenever you have time. It's fine. Um, no rush there. But thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. And it was fun. Excellent. Thanks for having Take me, Annie. Care. It's been a delight. Bye. Bye. That's all that I had for you today. Thank you very much for listening. I truly appreciate every single one of you. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that would help the podcast grow. And to make sure that you're up to date with my articles as well, please subscribe to my newsletter at anialexander.com backward slash NFT rebels. Take care and I'll meet you in the next episode.